Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Risen King, it is good to be with you this morning. It is good to be back in this building that uh, the Lord has used to impart so much into me personally. Um, Those years of being under uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Lisa and their leadership and the way that they have uh, ministered to me, the friendship that God has allowed us to build. Uh, and then be here this morning with Risen King family. Gabe said that you know I'm in the Metro District office. The Risen King is part of the Metro District, which means that we are family. So it's good to be with you this morning, fam. Good to see you all. Good to see you all. Uh, leaned over to Pastor Gabe uh, and said, uh, said of... Uh, of Ashley, uh, I said, Pastor Ashley, she's quite the preacher. She is, the, I, w- I want to pick up on what you said this morning. And as our time of prayer before we look into God's word, I want to use these words from Ephesians chapter one as the prayer for us today. Um, uh, just as confirmation of the, that's the Lord's message to us. Today. It's not the message that we're going um, we're to be looking at in the Word, but I, I believe this is the Word the Lord wants us to really get. Um, as I'm listening through uh, the Bible last year, I used the, uh, the English Standard Version. Um, no, last year yeah, it was a different English Standard Version. This year I'm listening through the message. And this morning on my way here, uh, the passage was Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. And listening to what you're saying, this, this reminder of who we are, whose we are, where we're seated, the fact that we don't have to try and be enough. We are already enough because he is enough in and through us. And I think that's the problem that we have. We try to make who we are enough. And Jesus has said, I am enough for you. I'm enough in you. I'm enough through you. And if we can get that, then we know exactly whose we are. So as I pray, uh, I'm going to pray the words of Paul. Actually, I'm just going to read this. And I'm going to ask you if you would uh, close your eyes. And if you're willing, just put your hands out in a posture of receiving. And let these words wash over your soul. That's our prayer for today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let me read that again. Blessed be the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose you in him before the foundation of the world, that you should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined you for adoption to himself as a son and a daughter through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed you in the beloved. In him, you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of your sins, 
according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon you in all wisdom and insight, making known to you the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set before in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on him, on earth. In him you have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that you who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Lord, that we have been saved. Thank you, Lord, that we have been and are being sanctified. Thank you, Lord, that we have been sealed by the promise of your Holy Spirit. We are yours, and we praise you, God. And now, Lord, as we look into your word for the day, open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, open our hearts that we would receive, open our wills that we would respond and act according to your will and purpose for your honor and your glory. Your spirit has already been at work. He is here. He is moving. Will he con- Lord, we ask that he would continue to move as we look into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The year before I was born, and I'm going to tell you that year, but it was the year before I was born, a group named The Four Tops released their second album. One of the songs on the album became an instant hit that lasted for generations. I don't care what type of music you listen to, everyone knew this song. And it wasn't the title, the title of the song is I Can't Help Myself. But it wasn't that title that people recognized. Uh, it was the, the, that, that first, the first four lo- words of that, that first line. The first four words, sugar, pie, honey, bunch. Look at that. See, people are saying it. You know, people from different generations were saying it. You were saying, saying it along with me. Sugar, pie, honey, bunch. So this morning, we're going to use portions of that song, and you're going to help me, uh, and we're going to be a little bit interactive as we come into this message. Uh, I want you to be ready when I sing that line. I want you to be ready to sing it with me. Ready? The line goes like this. Can't help myself. Want practice? One, two, three. Let's have it again. One, two, three. Can't help myself. And I'll go like this or I'll count down. But you'll know it's time to sing that line. Ready? Sugar pie, honey bunch. You know. Oh, let's see. Y'all know it. Somebody's doing the echo. All right. Sugar pie, honey bunch. You know that I love you. I love you. Can't help I love you and nobody else. Let me sing another line. Sugar pie, honey bun. I'm weaker than a man should be. I'm a fool in love, you see. You seem to get in it. Let me do one more. Sugar pie, honey bun. I do anything you ask me to. You ask me to. I want you and nobody else. Well, y'all did all right. You did all right. 
We're not done. I want to do it one more time. And this time, let's see if you can help yourself. Because when we get to that line, don't sing it. No matter what I do, no matter how I cue you, no matter where I go with it, don't sing it. You got it? Can you do it? Yeah, can't help myself, right? Sugar pie, honey bun. You know that I love you. I love you. <laughs> there you are. Whether you're here or whether you're in the virtual sanctuary online, somebody was going to say it. I knew it. I knew it. Why? Can't help myself. Reminds me of another song that came out the same year by another group. And that group went like this. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. See, there you go, there you go. <laughs> you know what I love about those songs? Not only are they fun, but they speak truth. Because we can't help ourselves. We try to. We try all the self-help things that are out there. We try all the self-achievement things that are out there. Everything is self, 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 self. And we try it so hard to be in control. And the more control we try to have, we realize that we lose control. So we do need help. We need somebody, but not just anybody. We need someone who can help us because we're out of control. We so desperately want to be in control, but we can't control ourselves. The Apostle Paul says it this way. When we try and control ourselves, what we do is we produce the acts of the flesh. Galatians 5, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgy, and the like. That doesn't sound like people who can help themselves, does it? Sounds like people who are trying very hard to do self-help things and be in control, but because they're so out of control, they don't even really realize that they need someone to help them be in control. He says, this is what it looks like when you try to help yourself and you come to the place where you realize you can't help yourself. But when you realize you need somebody and you need someone, not just anyone, and you turn to that someone, this is what's produced. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. That's what we want to look at today. But the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Because Paul wants to get across to the church at Galatia and to us today that the only way we can be people who are self-controlled or when we become people who surrender control to the Spirit, thereby losing our control, and we walk under his control, and now we move forward with his self-control. It's not our control. It's his control. But it causes us to have to surrender control. We're going to sing it later, but we often sing this song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. Fill the atmosphere. But we live life like this. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. But let me control the atmosphere. And when we control the atmosphere, we find ourselves singing, help, I need somebody, help, not just anybody. I want to keep singing that song, but I won't. I think if we're going to look at what it means that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, we also have to understand this. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's not the fruits. It is the fruit. This is the life that is born when you live under the control of the Spirit. We also have to understand that it is not like the gifts of the Spirit. When we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we are talking about those manifestations of the Spirit that he owns, but that he bestows upon us, and he chooses at his will what manifestation, what gift it is that he will birth and live out through you. And because he owns it, while you may not have that manifestation now, at some point he might choose to give you that manifestation. What we do is we try to own the manifestations. I have the gift of prophecy. I have the gift of healings. No, they belong to the Spirit. And he gives them as he wills. But we confuse the gifts and the fruit and think, well, I don't have the gift of love. Well, you're still supposed to manifest love because it's the fruit of the Spirit. And if the Spirit is living in you, then he will work in you to manifest that which you don't have because it will be born of him. You know, I don't have patience. I pray for patience all the time. Well, maybe that's why the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, because he is the one who produces patience in us. Where the gifts are up to him, and he has the option to give or to not give, the fruit is born of him, and his people will manifest that fruit. So you don't have the option to say, that's not my gift. No, it should be your fruit as you walk with God, as you follow him. But the fruit of the spirit is self-control. So we want to look at this today. 
We're going to go ahead uh, and look through some passages in the book of Genesis as this fleshed out. But before we do that, I think it's important to establish the difference between self-discipline and self-control. Self-discipline looks like this, pursuing what you think is right. Self-control is surrendering your right to be right. (laughs) Self-discipline. Motivation to achieve a goal. Self-control. Your goal is to simply act wisely and to act prudently. Self-discipline usually ends with the positive outcome that you desire. Self-control is living soberly and wisely, even if the outcome doesn't go your way. Self-discipline. There is something of personal gain to get as a result. Self-control says, I'm going to exercise restraint even when there's nothing to gain at the end. If there's nothing at the end for me, I am, by the work of the Spirit, still going to exercise restraint because it's not about what I gain. It's about what he produces in and through me. But the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so as we look into uh, this passage today, the scriptures today, we're going to look at Genesis, the book of Genesis, not the whole book, but just portions of the book of Genesis that deal with the story of a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph was the son of a man named Jacob. Joseph was the favorite of Jacob's 12 sons. And being the favorite of Jacob's 12 sons, Joseph flaunted it in front of his brothers every opportunity he got. In fact, whenever Joseph was sent out to the fields to be with his brothers, he'd come back and tell daddy all the things the brothers weren't doing that they should have been doing. This caused dissension between Joseph and his brothers. And daddy didn't help because he gave Joseph a coat, a beautiful coat. A coat of many colors that whenever it was worn, everybody understood that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Well, Joseph has a dream and Joseph tells his brothers and his dad the the dream that he has. His brothers don't like this. They hate him all the more. And they come up with a plan as he comes again out to the field where they were that they were going to kill him. His his older brother Reuben uh, decides, hey, we can't do that. So instead, they put him in a pit. Reuben had the plan that he was going to come back and get him. But while Reuben was away, the other brothers sold Joseph off into slavery into Egypt. Reuben comes back to get Joseph. He's missing. All of a sudden, he's, he's distraught. So he comes up with a plan to take Joseph's coat, dip it in goat's blood, take it back to the father and say, a wild animal has killed your son, and here is the coat to prove it. Jacob is distraught. Joseph, unbeknownst to Jacob, is now in Egypt, and he's serving in the household of Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard who served under, I mean, who served under Pharaoh. While he's there... Potiphar's wife catches an eye for Joseph. 
and a story unfolds. And as that story unfolds, there are things in Joseph's life along the way that I believe will help us in understanding what it means to talk about self-control. So as we are looking into the word, let me um, ask this question. Well, I'll just go ahead and ask the question. What can Joseph's life and actions teach me about self-control? What can Joseph's life and actions teach me about self-control? The first thing that I see as I look at the story of Joseph is this. Self-control means this. Impulses and urges do not have to rule me. Impulses and urges do not have to rule me. Maybe another way of saying it is this. I don't have to give in to any and every temptation that's presented to me. Any and every temptation that comes my way, I don't have to give in to them because I'm not ruled by my impulses and my urges when I'm controlled and ruled by the Spirit. Genesis 39, here's the picture. Joseph is in Potiphar's house. Potiphar has made Joseph equal with him, which means anything and everything Joseph has access to in Potiphar's house. And then comes along Potiphar's wife, because she has an eye for Joseph. Genesis 39. Uh, let's read it. and says this, verse 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told him, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Passage continues on. She once again goes to Joseph. Joseph's in the room and she says to him, come to bed with me. He's got on a cloak and this time Joseph actually runs away. When he runs away, the cloak is left in her arms. And she concocts a story to try and cover this up. How else is she going to deal with the fact that Joseph's cloak is in her room? And so she concocts a story that says Joseph tried to rape her. Potiphar gets upset, obviously so. And now Joseph finds himself in jail. Now, I want you to notice something about the passage. Let me go back and read something. Verse 9, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. We read what's there. But let's read what may not be there. And that's this question. What if? What if Potiphar had said to Joseph, I'm withholding nothing from you, including my wife? Joseph was handsome and well-built, much like myself <laughs> in former days. <laughs> my guess is Potiphar's wife was also beautiful and well-built. 
that line says to me, it is possible, it is possible that the thought crossed Joseph's mind. It is possible that she walked by and he took a second glance. And it was in that second glance that he said, she's not mine. It was in that second glance that he said, my master said no. It was in that second glance that he said, I will not defy my God by doing that which is inappropriate toward Potiphar and his wife. And every time she came after him, it was that second glance that determined for him whether or not he was going to give in to the impulse. Which says, <laughs> under the Spirit's control, we don't have to give in to the impulses that come to us. Now, we look at this story and we see uh, that we, our, only, our only thought is, well, we're talking about sexual impulses here. But what about the impulse to tell that coworker off who steps over the line just a little bit in trying to tell you how to do your job? What about the impulse to pick up that phone and call the cops on the neighbor who had a loud party rather than walking over, ringing the doorbell and saying, hey, I don't want to mess up your fun, but would you mind keeping it down just a little bit? Who would know? Maybe that response would be from that neighbor. Oh, sure, no problem. By the way, I haven't seen you, but here's the invitation I, was, I had for you to the party. I'd love for you to come over. What about the impulse? And you fill in the blank. See, it's not just sexual impulses. It's any impulse that would cause us to act outside of a person who is under the control of the spirit. But self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit, says I don't have to give in to any and every impulse that comes my way. I can say, not today, Satan. Not today. Something else I see from Joseph's life, self-control. Self-control, it says, my tongue does not control me. Maybe another way of saying it is, I don't have to tell everybody everything that happened to me. And I would also add to that, I don't have to tell everybody everything that God says to me. Because we can jump into that. God told me this. God told me that. God told me this. Joseph's now in jail because of Potiphar's wife. And while he's in jail, he meets this cupbearer and this baker. They used to be the chiefs, chief cupbearer and chief baker in, in, Pot in um, Pharaoh's house. And now they are in jail. And they have dreams that disturb them. And they have no way of interpreting them. 
Joseph's like, um, I know the God who interprets dreams. Tell me what it is that, that, that happened. So the cupbearer tells his dream. And the interpretation is, you're going to be restored to your role in three days. And then the baker gets up the nerve to tell his dream. And Joseph said, not so much. It's not going to go so well for you. But Joseph has one request of the cupbearer, and this is the request that he has. Genesis chapter 40, verses 14 to 15, and then verse 23 says this. But when all goes well with you, Joseph speaking to the cupbearer, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Then verse 23, the chief cupbearer, and this is after he's been restored, how chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Why do I see this as significant? Right there, Joseph had every opportunity to tell everything that had been done to him. He had every opportunity to go into detail about how his brothers sold him off into slavery. I shouldn't even be in Egypt. I wasn't supposed to be here. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not from here. I'm from the land of the Hebrews, and my brothers did this to me. I did nothing wrong except tell my dad all the things they were doing wrong, and they were upset with me, and they were mad at me, and they couldn't stand me, so they decided to sell me, and now I'm here. And then I get here, and Potiphar's wife God, tricks me into being here because she wanted me. I didn't want her. Well, maybe I wanted her, but I helped myself from getting it. You know, an old story he could have done. Because the cupbearer was going before the man who could have done something for him. The only thing he says, I'm here from the land of the Hebrews. I shouldn't be. I'm in this jail because of nothing that I've done. Just remember me. Just remember me. Now, I think it's significant that Joseph simply said that because there was a story where Joseph did more than that. Remember the dream that I talked about in the beginning? Here's Joseph's dream. His brothers and his father and mother would one day bow down to him. Now, that was a prophetic dream that the Lord was revealing to Joseph. That should have been between the Lord and Joseph. And what does Joseph do? In his naive, arrogant manner, goes up to his brothers and says, you know what? Y'all can't stand me. That's okay. Day's coming when you're going to bow down before me. So go ahead and be angry at me. Go ahead with your haterism. Hater going to hate, but that's okay because it's going to come back at you. That's the interpretation of what was said. <laughs> And then he says to his father, Dad, you know, I love you. Well, one day you're going to bow down to me. I love Jacob's response. He just simply says, you know, are you saying? What? And then he lets it go. It says he thought, kept these sayings that were said. He thought, kept thinking about them, but he didn't say anything. I know what my dad would have, been, would have said. <laughs> I'll bow down. When I bow down to pick you up off the floor for what you just <laughs> Joseph should have kept his mouth shut. But 
we don't have to tell everybody everything. Amen. Sometimes nothing and saying nothing, nothing is better than anything. <laughs> I still remember how I learned that lesson. One of the churches I pastored in was very clear to me what the Lord was saying would happen through the worship ministry that my wife and I were leading. And instead of writing those things down and being like Jacob and just keeping thinking on these sayings or like Mary and pondering these things in my heart, I decided to share it. You know, prayer request, of course. It took a while, but one of the people in the music ministry came to me later and said, I'm having a hard time believing anything that you say. I went, why? She said, because you said this, and it didn't happen. And you said this, and it didn't happen. And you said this, and it didn't happen. A couple of things I learned in that. Number one, I did learn about the timing of the Lord because those things did happen, just not in the time frame I thought they would happen. So I had heard from the Lord, but I also learned that sometimes the things that God speaks in the secret place are meant to stay in the secret place. Friends, we don't have to tell everybody about everything. And that's why the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Because it keeps us from opening our mouths when we shouldn't. Pastor, I, I haven't said anything. I learned that a long time ago. I don't say anything. I don't tell anybody anything. I keep everything that God says to me to myself. I don't say a word to anybody else. Let me see your Facebook. <laughs> How about Instagram, which is now Instatel? And so it may not come out of here, but it's certainly coming out of here. And then when God speaks to us, we quickly delete it, but it's already out there. The fruit of the Spirit, self-control. I don't have to follow every impulse. I don't have to say everything. And then finally, when we think about self-control, the idea of retribution does not undo me. In other words, what I, what I mean by that is, I don't have to seek revenge when I serve a God that redeems the wrongs done to me. Self-control. Retribution doesn't have to undo me. Here we are in Genesis chapter 50 now. What's happened is there's a famine in the land. Joseph um, has now uh, given uh, the interpretation of a dream to Potiphar because the cheap cupbearer finally did remember Joseph. Uh, Potiphar had a dream. All the people who normally interpreted dreams for Potiphar couldn't interpret those dreams. And Potiphar was like, look, either somebody's going to interpret this dream or somebody's going to die. And during that time, the cupbearer remembered Joseph, went and got Joseph, brought Joseph up. Potiphar tells him the dream. Joseph com 
tells him everything that's going to happen. Listen, there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of a famine. But you're going to be okay because this, God's going to take care of this. You don't have to worry about it. Potiphar then makes Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. He puts together an economic plan that would save not only the Egyptians, but it would save all the people around them. His father and his brothers actually do come to Egypt. They end up living near Joseph. They end up living with Joseph. And now uh, the father is, has died. The brothers are nervous. And they say, you know what? We got to do something about this. So listen to what happens. Genesis 50, verses 15 to 21. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for the good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. As I was looking at this passage, even reading it today, just as I read it in, in, the, in the first service, it occurred to me, the brothers had to produce a lie in order to cover for their selling Joseph into slavery. And so they dipped the coat in the goat's blood and they lied to the father and say, Joseph has been killed. Now, here they are. The father's dead. They're nervous. They're thinking, oh, he remembers uh, when we hated on him. Something's going to happen to us. Let's come up with a story. Another. Here's the way it goes, friends. When we take our control to be in self-control, we will always have to create a narrative that keeps us from losing control. When it is our control that can keep us in self-control, we always have to create a narrative to keep us from losing control. There will always be a spin on the story when we're in control. In contrast, look at Joseph. He simply said, look, I had no control over this. Whatever y'all were doing, you meant for evil, but whatever God was doing, he meant for good. Am I in the place of God? What I know is this. My being here saved many lives, including yours. You don't have to worry. As long as I'm alive, you'll be provided for. He didn't have to worry about it. It was perfect opportunity for him to get retribution. Daddy's gone. Nobody protect you. You are now at my feet, literally. I can do to you what I want, and daddy's not here. To... All of that was before him. He could have done it. But he simply said, you know what? I'm under God's control. 
He meant it for good. You know, what does Paul say? And we know that in all things, God works it together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Others may mean it for evil, but I don't have to repay evil with evil. I can overcome, overcome evil with good. I can't help myself? You, you're right, friends, you can't. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If we're up to you, if we're up to me, you try to control your impulses, your tongue, your, your need for retribution with the simple willpower, but, but, but simple willpower quickly turns into, I will exercise my power. My power over a situation, my power over a person, my power over circumstances, and you will lose control while you're trying to be in control. That's why we need the work of the Spirit in our lives, to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And when this happens, this is what it looks like. Self-control means this. I'm living by the Spirit's holy promptings and not my fleshly impulses. Self-control means this. I'm living by the Spirit's pure language and not my venomous language. Uh, Paul says it this way, whatsoever things are true and honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, if there be any virtue or praise, think on these things. Those are the things that the Spirit is speaking into my life, and I live by that. And then finally, the spirits, I live by the Spirit's redemptive work and not my fleshly retaliation. As I wrap this up and I close this, you're probably listening to this going, you know what, that's great, Kelvin. You've just told us about ourselves and self-control. What about yourself? Friends, 2020 was a hard year for me. It was a year of learning about self-control. The summer of 2020 in particular. Because I chose, as not only a leader, but as an individual, to speak out against the injustices that were going on. And when I did, all of a sudden, people that I was close to, switched it up. And without going into detail, there were a lot of things that became very hurtful. Some of the things that I said that were twisted and turned around. And in my own control, I wanted to step in and control the narrative and say to people, I didn't say that, I said, this. I didn't put it that way. I said it this way. Can you pick up the attitude and what I'm doing? It was like, oh no, I didn't say that. You want to know what I said? This is what I said. You want to know how I said it? This is how I said it. I didn't say that. I said this. Now what you going to do about it? That doesn't sound like anybody who's under the Spirit's control. And every time I was tempted to do that, the Lord spoke. He said, it's not my way, Kelvin. It's not my way. And he taught me that I had to keep my impulses in check. And he taught me that I needed to hold my tongue. Maybe another way of saying it is he taught me what it meant to hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battles. And he taught me what it meant to trust him to redeem the hurt that was caused to me. Friends, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. We have the perfect model for this. His name is Jesus. 
Philippians 2, reading from the message. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of the status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incre incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that. Death on a cross. At the end of the day, you will never get to a place where the fruit of the Spirit is self-control in your life until you first surrender control. And when you do that, self-control says, I now can see how to love because it is Christ's love that's being loved out in me and through me. I'm loving God and loving my neighbor. Self-control says this, I now can walk through life no matter what I'm facing with joy because I realize that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Self-control says this, I have peace that I can't explain to you because the peace of God which passes all understanding is guarding my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus self-control says this I can walk patiently with you no matter what's going on because he is producing his patience in me self-control says this I can treat you kindly as I have been treated kindly because I know that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance self-control says this I can be good toward you and receive goodness from you because I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Self-control says this, I can be faithful even when I'm tempted to do something else because I understand that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And self-control says, I can walk gently through life with you because I have been dealt with gently by God. We can't do it without the Spirit. You can't help yourself. I can't help myself. That's why it's so important for us to say, walk in the Spirit, so we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Let it not be said of us that we're saying, come flood this place, let me control the atmosphere. But let's say to the Holy Spirit, come flood this temple, this place, and fill the atmosphere of my heart so that you produce the spirit of self-control, the fruit of self-control, which then causes all of the other fruit to well up in me. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory God is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence. Lord, fill this atmosphere. You do this. Holy Spirit, you are well. Come flood my heart. Come flood my heart and fill the air. Your glory, God, your glory. God is what our hearts to be overcome, 
overcome by your would you stand one more time holy spirit holy spirit you are well come flood my heart come flood my heart and fill the end your glory come Spirit, we say together that you are welcomed here. Not just in this room, but in our lives, in our hearts. We give you permission and we give you access to live and dwell in us. We give you permission to control the narrative. We give you permission to do whatever you want to do in us so that you can do whatever you want to do through us. We say that we want to be people who are marked and live lives that are marked by the fruit of the Spirit. So we give you permission and we give you access and we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray.